You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hello and welcome to Atheistically Speaking. This is episode 202 and I'm your host, Thomas Smith. All right, got a great show, got a great interview for this episode and the next one. A little pattern I've been doing that I like quite a bit because I can reward my fine, fine patrons with an early access to part two. Just to quickly address something from last episode, I read the comment that was a little bit negative on how I had done the abortion debate slash discussion. I'd like to just give a brief update. I've com- contacted both commenters. I think there were uh, – by the end, it was two commenters, uh, an emailer. So I mean I, it's something that I want to address very much. I take it very seriously um, because it's – Something that a number of listeners have expressed, a number of female listeners have expressed. So I was able to, I think, come to a pretty good understanding or at least start to come to a pretty good understanding with the commenters via email. And uh, they've both been invited uh, to come on the show. And I think one for sure is going to. We'll see if uh, the other person wants to come on. So that's where that is. So I, I, that's something I really want to do because that's that's really important to me. Um, it was it was pretty hard to think that that maybe I've been addressing an issue in a way that was not was I don't know maybe what didn't quite meet the needs of all my listeners you know and that's something I take very seriously so uh, I, I'm excited for that because we can kind of uh, just get on the show and discuss it and hash it out and and maybe we'll we'll all learn from it so that's a little update on that in the meantime though I better get to my guest. My guest for today is Dr. Richard Carrier. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, all right. I have uh, – now, I will say I saw you, f- gosh, maybe a couple of years ago in Sacramento uh, for a talk you did on, uh, you know, Jesus mythicism, I guess. is, is huh And it was fascinating. I loved it. I meant to get you on the show. And alas, I, I, I just delayed too long until you had – it recently, a blog post, which well, more like a novel, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> it was extensive. Yeah, on uh, on evolutionary psychology, and I saw it. I was so fascinated by it. it, it I read it through it a couple times. Actually, it took a while, but <laughs> but uh, I was so fascinated by it. I wanted to get you on. Um, so I just mean all I mean to say to the listeners is. We're actually not talking about Jesus <laughs> for today, which uh, maybe I hope it doesn't come as too much of a disappointment uh, because I know your work is is very popular among atheists and uh, I don't know is it how about among uh, non atheists does anyone give it the time of day? Uh, some, yeah, <laughs> it, it should get more attention than it is, but uh, but yeah, but and we could always do a future show on that if you're interested. I would love to. I was going to say that maybe uh, maybe a future show on that would be would be uh, amazing. I, I'd be really into that, but. For the time being, uh, yeah, this blog post is 90% of all Evo Psych false. I caught my eye. I was very curious about it. And I just wanted to ask you, how did you go from what – my first thought was this is a uh, this is a tome. This is a very long <laughs> work. And secondly, what inspired someone who doesn't work in the field um, – 
you know, a, a historian by trade, right? I mean, that's your main. Focus. Well, I'm actually I have two trades. I'm a historian and a philosopher. I'm, I'm sure, published. Sure. I'm published in both fields. Um, uh, even in peer-reviewed academic journals. So I, I do a lot of actual philosophy. And so this really fits into the category of philosophy of science, right? Right, right. Uh, it's a matter of epistemology uh, and uh, the, you know, basically the, the foundations of scientific reasoning, what makes science a science as opposed to a pseudoscience, for example. Fair enough. Um, that so that, that's the, the yeah. approach that I'm taking at it. And the reason it's so huge is that I've interacted with EvoPsych defenders so often that the, it's always like whack-a-mole apologetics, right? And I even say that in the article where I have mm-hmm. to, they always come up with something else. So I had to make sure the article was complete. So there's, there's really nowhere you can go once you're done with it. Uh, there's, there's no weasel room uh, in here. So uh, that's why it's yeah. so long. It's supposed to be comprehensive. It's meant to be kind of like the ultimate go-to article for people who want to explore this question. Interesting. So can I just ask as a, as a matter of introduction, how did you get uh, turned on to this topic specifically, and and what uh, what inspired you to put in so much work <laughs> to do the research <laughs> in this? Well, it's uh, partly it's that's what I do is I find something fascinating, course, yeah. and something that is a niche that hasn't been filled, and then I write an article about it. Um, so I, I do that. That's that's one part of it. But the other side of it is um, for a while, increasingly more so. Um, it's an interesting narrative because. It used to be, and it's still somewhat the case, I mean, obviously it's still the case, that the reason I got involved in counter-Christian apologetics, the reason I got involved in writing refutations of Christianity and getting involved in in counter-apologetics and that side of things, is because as someone who had political goals to achieve, human rights, civil rights, and things like that, um, it was always the Christians in my way. Uh, always in our way of everything, women's rights, gay rights, everything you can think of, even even like things you would expect Christians – would not be in favor of like war. Um, <laughs> it's, it's always, always Christians that are in our way. Yeah. Um, so, so that really got me going and interested. And that's what got me into the atheism movement, like a really long time ago. This was about, you know, the early nineties or mid nineties actually. Um, but the same thing has happened with Evo Psych that, uh, as I get more involved in activism in terms of getting people aware of how culture has caused them to roll in certain ruts, uh, that lead them to be, uh, you know, racist in ways that they don't even realize they are, or sexist in ways they don't even realize they are. Um, that create systems that are biased towards certain groups of people. That the systems just work that way, uh, even if there's not any particular person who's causing that to happen. So, in trying to fight these particular issues, uh, it's always Evo Psych or people citing Evo Psych, I should say, who are always standing in my way. And in fact, they've actually become the number one opponent. Uh, the Christians are still there, but they're diminishing in their influence. I think they're kind of peaked in terms of their voting power. Um, we're still fighting them. We still have to. Uh, but it's still people citing Evo Psych, usually atheists even, who cite this stuff uh, to argue against certain feminist and social justice causes. And that's been going on for years. So it, it, gradually I was getting like – they would make these ridiculous claims and then I would check their science on that. And it would like that's – not only is their claim about the science wrong, but even the science was actually kind of bad. Mm. Uh, and this this kept happening over and over and over again. And then I started reading uh, a lot of other experts in the field, other um, psychologists, other evolutionary biologists, um, and anthropologists as well who have really important things to say about this, um, weighing in, pointing out many of the things that I was noticing. And these guys are experts who know what they're talking about. Uh, and so I was seeing the same things they were, and they were showing – they're pointing out things that even I had missed. Uh, and so it just grew up over time. So I, I acquired this sort of attitude about Evo Psych based on all of this, this, coll- this bibliography that I had accumulated and read. 
And uh, then maybe about a month ago, I think, I got into kind of a Twitter battle with uh, someone who actually is an evolutionary psychologist. Um, and and he was very rude and snarky and so forth. And, and I said in, in that Twitter battle, I was like, I think like EvoPsych is 90% pseudoscience. And he says, oh, you just made that number up. I'm like, well, I didn't really, but I didn't. I was, it's Twitter. You can't argue yeah. this in 140 <laughs> characters. So um, – <clears throat> And that's sort of stuck in my craw. Like, with, I even sent them links, and they wouldn't even respond to the links. And I was like, you know what? Someone needs to write this article because uh, no one else has done it. I needed an article to point them to. Um, I had a bunch of articles to point them to, but they said, well, those have been refuted. And I said, where? And they didn't, couldn't answer that question as to where they've been refuted. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they haven't been. Uh, and I, I found all the individual links I had were insufficient by themselves. So I wanted to create a sort of a clearinghouse of all the reasons why. Uh, so many people think EvoPsych is largely a pseudoscience. Not entirely a pseudoscience, but largely a pseudoscience. Um, and so I composed this this massive article on this with thorough links, um, careful analysis. Um, I even look at one of the best defenses in the peer-reviewed literature of EvoPsych against its critics. Um, so even the peer-reviewed literature acknowledges that EvoPsych has a lot of critics. <laughs> um, and so I looked and, and analyzed that paper and found the serious flaws in even that paper. And then that's what led us to where we are here. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's fair to say that it is a bit political because uh, Evo psychologists maybe or maybe people just interpreting it badly or or what have made it political. It's a little of both. Um, I I mean, it's it's difficult. It's just like with Christian apologists where you don't know if they're lying or delusional. Um, right? Like, cause it, it looks the same, right? Yeah. So if you, if they say ridiculous things, it's like, you're either a liar or you're deluded and you're not seeing the facts or whatever. Um, Evo Psych is the same way in the sense that you can't tell if people have a political motive or if the Evo Psych is just lead, making them susceptible to political manipulation. You can't tell if what, what's going on cause you can't see into their mind, right? Or, um, or where, maybe where the behavior use Evo Psych in, in, on the internet, right? That's where people will just say, this is my political position. Evo Psych supports it, yada, yada. And they'll give you citations and stuff. Um, that you do run into a lot. The actual Evo Psych people don't usually outright say those things. Um, Sometimes they do, but usually they don't. But sometimes that you can kind of get a strong whiff of it. Uh, it. It's very suspicious sometimes. But some of them might actually believe this. They might actually have duped themselves into thinking that this is a real science. Wow. So let's go ahead and, if you wouldn't mind laying out, because the basic premise, and I think you say this as well, the basic premise seems very intuitive. Mm-hmm. seems like something that would be promising. Uh, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and lay that out and, and why you think that it ultimately doesn't lead to a fruitful science, at least not yet? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it, the basic premise, I mean, the most fundamental abstract premise of it is obviously correct, uh, that human psychology evolved biologically by natural selection. I mean, that's we, we everybody agrees that that's true. Even the, all the critics of EvoPsych agree that that's true. Um, but most critics of EvoPsych say that we can't know the things that EvoPsych wants to know, that we don't have the data that we need to actually do this. And one of the, the key points, for example, and this is one of several, it's not the only one, but it is the big one, is that we have a serious difficulty in disentangling what has biologically evolved in the brain and what is actually produced and perpetuated through culture. And uh, this is one of the biggest problems with EvoPsych is that they never rule out culture, almost never. There's very, very few exceptions to this. But they almost never rule out culture, either at all, some take cases, or they use tests that are logically incapable of doing that. Um, and consequently, uh, they get a lot of, uh, they make a lot of uh, assertions that are out of proportion to the evidence. They'll say that, well, we did this study, it proves this. 
And then someone will say, well, you, actually, you didn't rule out the contrary hypothesis. So in fact, that's invalid science. Uh, many critics have pointed this out. I mean, my, the, I give many examples in the article, but the, the most ridiculous one is the uh, gendered toys study, which is the, there are two of them even. It's, it's, it's really fantastically, it's almost comical. And yet the defenders of EvoPsych cite those as being examples of their best stuff. Um, so it's kind of representative. So what, what are some of the shortcomings of those studies, if you don't mind? Well, <laughs> I think uh, people will be amused if they read the article description of them. Um, the uh, so this is this is let's see if I can capture this right. Um, so they they gave a bunch of different kinds of toys to some monkeys, monkeys, mind you, not apes. And um, they, like for example, in one study, it was pots and stuffed dolls and a ball. Um, I can't remember what else, but the, the, there's, for example, the stuffed dolls, the, the, the girl monkeys played with the stuffed dolls and the boy monkeys played with the pots or, or no, the girls played with the stuffed dolls and the, and the pots and the, and the boys monkeys played with the, the balls and, oh, trucks. That was the other thing I yeah, played with the, and a police, it was police car. That was a police car. That's <laughs> if a monkey knows what a police yeah. car is. Anyway, um, and, uh, and, and, and they, oh, and they showed, and they did parallel studies with, with Western, this is the other thing problem with is they study weirdos, which is Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic people as if we represent uh, our Savannah ancestors. It's ridiculous. The culture is so radically changed. Uh, the conditions and environment are so radically changed that you can't do that. But nonetheless, uh, they studied these, you know, Western kids and said, no, Western kids divide in gender by the same in the same way. Um, now, in reality, that's not what they found. They found that only the female monkeys seem to have any kind of gender difference in their preference for toys. The male monkeys didn't have any. And then another study came along and, and they claimed that it it supported their study, but in fact, it found the opposite. It found that the boys preferred one kind of toy over another and the females didn't. Um, I don't know how they can claim that's a corroboration, but anyway, uh, all of this is in my article if you want to see the details. Sure. But one of the key problems with this is that there is no freaking way that a monkey knows what a pot is, a cooking pot. Uh, and there's no possible way there could be a gendered division in monkeys' preferences for toys for domestic tools like a pot Pots didn't even exist when our ancestors evolved. The pot is actually an invention of the uh, Bronze Age, which, you know, so that's, we're talking 6,000 years ago. We're not talking like a million years ago. Yeah. We're not talking 100,000 years ago. So the premise is just fundamentally comically absurd. This, this is like a classic example of pseudoscientific thinking. It's just off the charts, ridiculous. Um, and yet they claim to have found results and claim that this supports their thesis of gender differences and interests in toys and so on that, that proves fundamental gender differences between men and women. Women are just evolved to want to cook and men are just evolved to want to play with police cars. Um, uh, 100% ridiculous. Yeah, especially if they're not using a monkey police car. If they're not specifically <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, outfitted yeah. with monkey police officers, then, then maybe yes. they'd have a point. <laughs> That's just one example and probably yeah. the worst example. And yet they still cite that as one of their best examples. It's interesting though. I mean, just, just to try to push back a little bit. I, one of the things I have found fascinating is, uh, and I'm honestly completely agnostic on this. I, I, I find you're, you're, uh, sorry, not completely agnostic, but I'm willing to entertain. Like if, if there's a good study that shows something, I'm, I'm totally willing to go with oh, that. Sure. So am I. Actually. Um, I, but why is it that? And, and maybe this isn't something you have an answer to. Maybe it is. It's okay either way. But w why does it seem to be the case that that so many uh, just I and mean, maybe it's just anecdotes, but so many kids they seem to be locked into things at such an early age. My my uh, mm -hmm. nieces and nephews. It ju it really appears, and and maybe it's some sort of I, I don't know. Maybe it's a 
an illusion of some kind or maybe, I don't know, a misinterpretation, but it just seems like they're so keyed in, uh, you know, boys on playing with trucks and Oh, et yeah, it's and- cultural reinforcement. I mean, you, if you look at people who are having babies, they're already buying gendered toys before the baby's even been born. I mean, that, that just tells you right there where things are But how are going. is it that, okay, so my brother has a boy and a girl, and they, they ref- absolutely will not play with each other's toy. It, it's weird, like, but I don't, you know, they haven't forced them on them. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like, but that's, so what you get is you get subtle reinforcement at behaviors, right? So it's which, something which things you reward with a smile, which hmm. things you think are, you, you react to weirdly. Interesting. Into, they intuit that stuff. They inha- like, We've actually, that's one thing that, that Evo Psych doesn't get right, which is that we actually evolved to be generalists. We actually have, uh, we're extremely adaptable. That's, right, that's actually right. our feet. That's what makes us different from apes, right? Is that we are super adaptable. That's our superpower, right? That's the thing that we evolved that allows us to do things that apes can't do. You can throw humans, like a band of humans, into any environment and they'll figure shit out and come up with a culture that right, allows them right. to survive in that environment. That's that's what gave us this edge. That's what we evolved, is this generalization of function. EvoPsych is all about denying the generalization of function and asserting that we, ha- we are just a, a collection of specified input output routines that each one evolve for a particular purpose. Um, and, and I'm not, uh, straw manning either. You can look at the, uh, the article that defends Evo psych it outright says this, and this is a ridiculous thesis. We know for a fact that we're generalized in function. Now there are certain, uh, specific tracks that where there are some things we can talk, maybe get to that where I think Evo psych has got something right. Um, but well, they're, sure. they're, let me, they're, let me, they're if- less relevant to that, but the, the significant point is, is that we are one of the things we've adapted to do is we're extremely, extremely susceptible to influence by our peers and our environment and our parents. We very quickly absorb and adapt to social roles and cultural information. That's to our survival advantage, or at least it was, uh, because it's extremely useful to learn the roles we need really quickly that have been developed for this particular social situation in this particular environment. Um, we're designed essentially by or evolved by natural selection to do that. So uh, kids are extremely susceptible to manipulation into cultural uh, ruts in that way. Now, this doesn't mean we've solved the problem of the, these questions. Uh, that, that it just means that we that the problem is complicated. So we actually have to develop a scientific method that can distinguish between these cultural influences and other kinds. And it's really hard to do this. Certainly, it's hard to do this ethically. Uh, unless you're going to create, you know, Walden or something. But um, mm-hmm. you, there, there are not a lot of ways to actually test this. Um, one way to do it is to look at cross-cultural studies that are very pervasive cross-cultural studies. But even that's not uh, enough because we can – there's a thing called convergent evolution where um, – that's this happens in biology too where you uh, do two different species converge on the same biological solution to the same problem. Uh, and we have the same thing in culture. You can have convergent cultural evolution. So even a universal behavior could still be cultural. So it's really difficult to tease these apart. And so critics of EvoPsych don't say that we know these things are culture or not. They're just saying that we can't rule it out. There's there's too much to study here. There's too much data to look at. We've got to look at everything and try and figure this out in its complex nature. And that's that's the point of that particular thing. But then when they come up with these ridiculous studies like the monkeys playing with toys, I mean, that, that's you know they're not really – uh, on the same plane of reality the rest of us are on in terms of what they're doing to try and solve these problems and answer these questions. It um, certainly seems to be a poor, poorly designed test, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's uh, it's that, really curious. Could you not say, I wonder, just for the sake of argument, because it sounds like you, you've set a very high bar for, for Evo Psych, and maybe it's appropriate, but it, <laughs> so even if cross-cultures, it tends to be that 
you know, male babies play with certain kind of toys, even if there are exceptions. Hypothetically, if you find a vast majority tend to play with a certain kind of toy and and females tend to prefer other toys, uh, depending on, on, you know, what your findings are. Are you saying so even then it could just be some sort of cultural phenomenon that's that we can't really prove it's evolutionary. It seems well, like a you, very high bar. You would bar have to, to rule it out. I'm not saying it's impossible okay. uh, to do that. It's just you have to come up with a test that's capable of doing it, right? And if you can't, then you just can't know. I mean, that, that's, right, that's right. the fundamental thing about science is if you can't study, if you can't test it, if you don't have an instrument that can observe it, you just have to admit you don't know. You can't just magically wave your wand and invent knowledge. And that, that's like a fundamental distinction between science and pseudoscience is that science admits that it can't know something. Pseudoscience is when you try to pretend you know it and then claim it's science. And that's um, a point that you make really well, I think, in the article that this could be science. There's a lot of ways, and we can get to this later, but this could be science. And it could be that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like from from your from reading your article that if it was a question of presenting the observations or presenting the theories and saying, here's the test we've done, this seems to fit, and sort of leaving it there, kind of like the, the analogy you, <laughs> you bring up is cosmology, you know, yeah, saying this yeah. fits the data, this seems to fit, that we, we haven't disproven this theory, uh, you know, and, and sort of leaving it there, that's scientific behavior. Right? Do I have yeah, you right? Yeah, that, and, and some of that would be useful, but some of it's not so much. Um, mm. and, and a good example of that is the, I mean, it's, it's, this is a good example of both problems. One is that they overclaim what the evidence proves, but also that they aren't doing what even you're suggesting that they do, um, which is the um, testing the hypothesis that was proposed uh, by, by another EvoSight person. Um, that why, why is there a consistent ratio of homosexuality in social species um, and, and in the human species as well? It's, it's fairly cross-cultural. There's some variation in percentages of reported homosexuality, but it it's, comes pretty close in percentage. It seems pretty consistent. And according to the EvoPsych hypothesis itself, that should be impossible. Uh, homosexuality uh, reduces direct reproduction. Therefore, it should have evolved out of the species over hundreds of thousands of years. It shouldn't exist anymore. Is that really uh, – hold and on. Admit, is that not they, they, a straw man? That's not a straw you know, man? This, this is what EvoPsych people say themselves. They'll say themselves that we can't explain this. This is something we should look at and try to try Well, to but even, even among, I mean, just regular plain old evolutionary biology, we recognize that there's things yeah. that <laughs> – so, That's true. <laughs> Um, and so I'm giving, are you saying like, I'm giving them too much credit? Yeah, no, no, no. But you're thinking of like things like Down syndrome and other things where we, we do know that there's like extreme outliers that were not adaptively evolved. But no, homosexuality has a higher percentage than those things in the, popul- in the hmm. population. It's very difficult to explain mathematically why it exists, even as an out by an outlier theory. Hmm. Now, it could be an accidental byproduct of something else. Right. Uh, and that, that's another issue I talk about in the article. There's a lot of things that EvoPsych people assume must have been adapted. A lot of that stuff could just be random noise. It's the accidental byproduct of something else. So that's entirely possible. But this other hypothesis that was proposed, which was the kin selection hypothesis, and there's a lot of data to support it. Um, it's not proved. Uh, but it's it's an example of where there's a lot of evidence from a lot of different uh, areas, different directions that have accumulated and converged on the same conclusion. So it's kind of one of their best examples of something that they've got a good case for, except they, they aren't at the point of proving it. But it's at least something that's worth looking at, right? And that's the kin selection hypothesis, which is the idea that homosexuality – and you don't want to have too much of it. You don't want to have too little of it. If you have just the right amount of it. What you end up with is you have a certain number of women and men will remain back with their primary core family 
and provide labor and combat support and other things for that family, which actually benefits their correlated genes, which is the genes of their nieces hmm. and nephews, right? Uh, and you can show mathematically that this works out as long as the benefit of having those people stay home is large enough. And, uh, and so it's, it's plausible. And there's some, like I said, there's some data to support it. But what the EvoSite community did is they did some ridiculous tests that they claimed refuted this hypothesis, but the tests were completely 100% incapable of doing that. And what they did is they went to modern Western industrialized nations with modern capitalist economies and measured how much money uh, gay relatives gave to their <laughs> nieces and nephews. Yeah. And they're like, no, that that's not going to work at all. And they, of course, they found nothing. They found no significant difference. This is, oh, so the hypothesis refuted. It's like no, that that can't refute the hypothesis. I mean, first of all, money didn't exist when this stuff evolved. Yeah. Secondly, uh, when when this feature evolved in us biologically, we were defined by um, extended family co-location. So that's not what the Western society culture does anymore. We don't do the extended, extended family co-location anymore. Most of us, as soon as we're capable, we leave the household and go found our own household, often a nuclear family and so on. Um, it's not like you have like 30 family members living on one uh, tribe or one one piece of land right. or something like that. We we don't do that anymore. Um, but that's what was happening when this stuff would have evolved. The other feature is that okay, money didn't exist. There was no such thing as money. What was valuable then? What made a huge difference in your survival is how many people, how many strong men did you have around to fight? That's yeah. a huge evolutionary advantage to protect the kids in the tribe, right? And even women, you know, how many women do you have around to do other labor? And, and we know in terms of sexual dimorphism, we know that that's the division of labor that evolved uh, in the hominid population, men as fighters, women as laborers. Um, that doesn't mean that they evolved uh, psychology that worked the same way. It may have done. We don't know that the evidence is pretty weak on that, actually. Uh, but physically, yes, we can see the dimorphism physically, that that's, that's the thing that happened. But the point is, is, if you have people staying home in those kinds of cultures, you're going to have a huge effect in terms of the benefit to the survival of the kids in that extended family. Um, so that's what you need to measure. You need to go find similar family models to the ancient world without modern economies. And that's really hard to do. Even yeah. uh, even today, when you go like look at bush, you know, bushman civilizations and you know, uh, uh, Amazonian tribes and stuff. These are kind of like the last holdouts where civilization has pushed these people into the most desperate, uh, you know, uh, deserted or, you know, wild areas. These are not representative of our ancestors. We wiped out the representatives of our ancestors. So you can't really go study a version of our ancestral environment anymore. Um, you can kind of approximate it, but no one's even doing that. That's the other thing. No one's studying homosexual uh, homosexuality in, in uh, the Bushmen or stuff, except someone who did, an anthropologist, talk on it, not an Evo psych person. They went and actually studied uh, a culture that was very similar in these characteristics. It had extended family co-location, and labor and combat were more important than money. Uh, and they found support for the kin selection hypothesis uh, for homosexuality. So... Hmm. Um, you know, refuting the refutation of the Evo Psych people. So anthropologists are doing better Evo Psych than Evo Psych people are doing. <laughs> well, can I ask I what might be – oh, sorry. Well. Sorry to interrupt. I, can no. I ask what might be a silly question? Is, are they begging the question by assuming this is like a psychological thing? I mean – True. Uh, oh, you mean um, – Homosexuality. Like, it, like Well, no, it is of course because it has to uh, affect – 
um, the psychology of the person, right? So if you are attracted to the male form, there's something going on in your mind. Something has to have been done in your brain. That's psychology. Okay. Uh, Regardless so, so it of is whether or not. Psychological. Okay. No, of course, all psychology is fundamentally biological, right? Okay. Even, even culture is biologically changing your brain, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's mind brain, uh, um, uh, uh, mind-brain determinism uh, equivalence is, is a definite fact. So, so all psychology is biology. Um, but there's a difference between biology that is caused to change by environment. So you have those two things you have to separate. And that's what Evo Psych often doesn't do any actual proper tests to distinguish. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so it's just studying it on a different level, sort of. I mean, ultimately, it could all reduce to biology, really. It's just that studying it at that level is too impossible to try to break it down. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, even Evo Psych proponents would agree that it doesn't all reduce to genes, right? Like, they, they agree that we did not, we were not genetically selected to um, land a man on the moon, sure. for example. Yeah. Um, even though the fact that we can now colonize outer space uh, and therefore survive uh, an extreme impact event on the Earth gives us an enormous differential reproductive sec- success over all of the other species on Earth, right? So, um, but that's a cultural byproduct, right? That's, that's not something that we were physically evolved. It's not in our genes. Now, it's in our genes in the trivial sense that we evolved to be problem solvers. We evolved to be um, uh, cu- culture bearers and so on. And, and, and that led to ultimately figuring out how to put a man on the moon, um, unforeseen by nature, uh, although nature doesn't foresee anything for, really. But... Um, so in, in a sense, it does all get back down to biology. But the, the, the real debate in EvoPsych is how much of it is genetically determined versus how much of it is molded by environment and by culture, by enculturation, by peer pressure, by training, by even just exploring the environment. Um, an example is the ability of humans to walk, right? Um, we actually aren't evolved with a full walking skill, uh, unlike most animals. You, you've ever seen deer give birth They'll right. give birth to a deer, and that deer walks just like bolts literally off. right yeah. out of the womb. Right, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, we don't. Have See you that. later, mom. I'm out of uh, here. We don't have that, but we also don't teach kids to walk per se. Right, we, it's not like we put them through walking school. Um, <laughs> uh, we give them a little bit of help, but ultimately they learn it by just exploring their environment and using what autonomic processes they did evolve to have genetically, and then figure it out. And, and it's just the way we've evolved is just, that's just the way it works is that we, we don't have pre-programmed genetic program for walking. What we have is a pre-programmed genetic program for figuring out how to walk. And then it's just assumed that our parents will protect us for a few years while we just figure that out by exploring our environment. Mm. Uh, and that does cause genetic – or not genetic but biological changes in the brain, right? So that you can actually go in the brain and see what has changed from a, a toddler who can't walk and a toddler who can. So it is biological but it's not genetic. Um, and it's genetic only in the sense that the underlying substrate of the skills necessary to figure it out by exploring your environment uh, are there. And And – a lot of what we do and figure out and become as persons, even culturally, what we think is culture could be that kind of thing where we just we learn it from the environment. Uh, and so uh, there are a lot of questions, you ha- a lot of alternative hypotheses you have to be able to rule out before you can rule in genetics, especially if, as most EvoCyte people, and in fact, I'm not aware of any example of an EvoCyte study that actually tries to find a genetic basis for any behavior. Um, they just assert that there is one. 
Um, but they, they never actually do genetic studies. Um, mm. And this is, I point out, a lot of critics of EvoPsych uh, experts in the field have pointed out this is, a, this is a problem. It's not an unsurpassable problem. There are other ways to try and get the evidence that they want. But if you're not even going to do genetic studies, um, you're ruling out a huge area, essential area, for trying to prove the kind of hypotheses that they are proposing. That seems uh, like an obvious thing. It seems so, like such an easy fix is what I mean to say. <laughs> well, it's not an easy fix because it's so hard to do. And that's, I think, part of what drives the pseudoscience within EvoPsych, the, the pseudoscientific content of it, is that doing the real science is freaking expensive. It costs <laughs> shit tons of oh, money. Oh, it's funding. Is that the uh, issue? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and there's this assumption that, well, we can't afford the studies we want to do, but these are the studies we can afford to do. Let's pretend those studies can accomplish what we want and let's do those studies. And so they pump out thousands, literally thousands of studies that are super cheap studies where they just hand out questionnaires to college students in their class, for example. Um, and they think that this is doing good science and that that's really not. I mean, even critics of psychology, just regular psychology have pointed out that this is bad science, even in psychology, much less trying to extend it to Evo psych, where you're trying to prove two different hypotheses simultaneously, not just that a behavior exists, but also a causal explanation of the behavior. It's double hard. Um, yeah, I was so just going to really, say, if no one's willing to invest the real money to do the real studies they need to do, then they can't do the science. And it, it's unfortunate, but that's the fact. Right. All right, that's it for part one with Dr. Richard Carrier. Very fascinating stuff. Part two's got just as much. It's all loaded. It's all ready to go for my fine, fine patrons at patreon.com slash atheist. Thank you so much for your support. And as a reward, there's some really content for you. If not, no big deal. Not a big deal at all. Uh, you'll just get the rest of the episode on Monday, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it just as much then. So thank you for listening. I want to thank my patrons specifically Kyle Reiser, Zimu Zinu, Adrian Borschoff, Michael, Jonathan Moyer, Jay Aldenwald, Bangs Naughty Bits, Christian J, Peter Skelton, Brian Gareford, Dale, Matt Garrett, Samantha, and that's it. Thank you guys so, so much. Enjoy your early sode, as well as I think Jake and I are going to get back on the bonus content. So all kinds of bonus stuff for my lovely patrons over at patreon.com slash atheist. All right, that's it for me for this week. Tune in on Monday for the thrilling conclusion with Dr. Richard Carrier. Thanks. See you then. Mm-hmm.